you are Locked On Dodgers, your daily Los Angeles Dodgers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So I say D, I say D-O, D-O-D, D-O-D-G, D-O-D-G-E-R-S, team, 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 team. Yo, 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 Dodger fans. Welcome to Locked On Dodgers. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one local sports daily podcast network. Locked On, your team every day. This is the daily podcast covering the Los Angeles Dodgers, bringing you the smart fans' perspective on our boys in blue. I'm Vince Samperio, Chavez Ravine Fiends, here with Jeff Snyder of Baseball Essential. Jeff, it was a wild and roller coaster weekend, but the Dodgers emerged with two victories. And while there is issues with the with the weekend, uh, the two wins I'll take. Yeah, absolutely. There, this definitely won't be an all rainbows and, and unicorns episode. Uh, but overall, it was a good solid weekend that I'm happy to have happy things to talk about. Yep. Yeah. So we're going to get into all the games, game three, game four, game five, the decisions made in some of those games, and then a little bit about game six. But before that, a quick reminder to subscribe to Locked On Dodgers wherever you get your podcast. And when you get in your car or if you're at home, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Dodgers. All right. Real quick, I guess, game six starter, Tony Gonsolin. A number of people have said maybe Bueller on, on short rest. He's never done that before especially the fact that he has a blister. Uh, you're fine with Gonsolin game six, right, Jeff? I am more than fine. I would be uh, extremely angry if they were deciding to go with Bueller on, on short rest. They need one win in the next two games, and if it comes down to needing Bueller to win, I want Bueller on full strength. The worst possible case scenario would be for Bueller to go on short rest and either be ineffective because of the rest or have blister issues because of the rest, and the Dodgers lose that game, and then you have a bullpen game against Charlie Morton to try to salvage the series. I am much, much more comfortable having Bueller as the fallback option on full rest if they can't get it done in Game 6. Yeah, I agree with you there, and and that's kind of the big thing is you want your guy at full rest and not compromised because then you leave yourself with nothing really in Game 7, just a, a, a lot of hoping and praying. Hopefully, Gonsolin, knowing that he's starting, hopefully you know they've given him the confidence that you're you're going to get a real start. Uh, his last start wasn't really a real start. They, they kind of had a, a quick leash on him, and I think that was planned. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But let's talk about Game 3 and the first game that Walker Buehler pitched in this series. It was just a solid win, uh, relatively stress-free. You know, Walker Buehler pitched very well. The offense put up runs against Charlie Morton, and the Dodgers won and, and put themselves up 2-1 to one in the series. Yeah, and like you said, stress-free was what we were looking for. And, uh, you know, final score was, what, 6-2? to two? And so it was, it was nothing, nothing outstanding, but it was just a good, solid team win. They had 10 hits and three walks, so a lot of base runners – um, and overall just, you know, they gave Bueller everything he needed. Bueller came out and he was great. Pitched 10 innings pro- or, or six innings. I mean, sorry, I didn't mean 10. I meant six. Uh, he was at 93 pitches. Theoretically, maybe he could have gone one more inning if they needed it. But at that point they were up six to one. And, uh, you know, the, the second run came on a meaningless solo home run by Kenley Jansen. Uh, the only meaningless runs that Kenley allowed, but that'll be for later. Um, and yeah, it was just a good team victory and just a reminder after losing game two 
due to some unforced errors, a reminder of, yes, the Dodgers are the better team in this series. Yeah, and Walker Bueller was getting a, a lot of attention, you know, from national media and, and in general. But Charlie Morton was getting just as much as attention, and, and rightfully so. He had had a, an ERA, I think, 0.57 going into the game or somewhere around there going into the game. He had done very well and and obviously pitched in Game 7 of the 2017 World Series against the Dodgers and did very well there. So rightfully so, it was labeled as a, a, a potential pitcher's duel, and even we we kind of thought it, it might be a low-scoring affair. The Dodgers offense just you know put it to him and, and got him – Got runs early and, and you know obviously that's going to help Bueller feel more comfortable and everyone else feel more comfortable. So yeah, for for playoff or for World Series games specifically, that's that's you know, other than winning 10-0, that's kind of the the best of what you can get a relatively stress free, low stress game. And uh, yeah, I mean that game three was was clearly the most nondescript game of the weekend. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that was because Bueller was so good. Um, You know, it's nondescript, but because Bueller is lights out in the postseason, especially in big games, he's proven himself that the pressure doesn't phase him. He's mentioned and other people have mentioned that his failure in that game against the Braves two years ago taught him a lot. And, and, you know, we've seen him in this postseason get himself into a similar situation and get out of it. And we've seen him uh, just, you know, he said, he said, I've been here. I, this doesn't phase me. And, and you can tell when he's on the mound. He doesn't care if it's game seven of the World Series. He doesn't care if it's opening day, whatever. He, he wants to go out there and, and compete. And he knows that with his stuff, he can be anybody on any, any given day. And, and I love that mentality. I, I'm, we need a nickname for him. You know, Oral Hershiser was, was called Bulldog, and that was almost uh, not a joking nickname, but it was uh, to try to motivate him. Tommy Lasorda nicknamed him Bulldog to try to motivate him to be more of a Bulldog, and it kind of became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, uh, Bueller is more of a Bulldog than Hershiser ever was at this point as far as actual attitude goes. You know, he still has a ways to go to match Hershiser's accomplishments. Uh, but, you know, there's got to be some nickname out there because – Bueller might be the most fearless uh, pitcher I've seen for the Dodgers in a long time. Yeah, and we, there's a, a very large discussion I have about Bueller. The Dodgers can can close this out, and you know probably a whole episode dedicated to him. But I think the the other big move for that game, which may have gone under the radar a little bit, was Dave Roberts going with Austin Barnes behind the plate, and you know just coming off how Barnes caught him in the last series, and you know kind of left him go. And honestly, at this point. I wouldn't be upset if, if Barnes is catching the rest of the way, and well, specifically game six, because he's probably going to catch Bueller game seven anyways. And, you know, Smith is, is looking a little tough at the plate right now, so he may get a day off here in the next couple games. Uh, but, you know, Barnes has is, is really worked his way into it, and, and, you know, he's very comfortable, and all the pitchers are very comfortable with him. Yeah, there's only going to be one more game, so he probably won't get a day off since it's Blake Snell pitching, and the Dodgers don't really have – a good other right-handed option. I guess they could uh, go with Pollock or Kike as the DH um, and, and give Smith a day off. But uh, yeah, I mean, Smith hasn't really performed in this in this series, and and Barnes has played in. And it's funny how how that ebbs and flows the the tide of being a catcher. Because I remember 
during this very regular season, just a month or two ago, there was a play at the plate that Barnes missed a throw home and everybody was clamoring saying Will Smith would have made that play. And then there was a play. Uh, I feel like it was against the Padres. I don't remember the details, but Will Smith made a nice tag and uh, and people on Twitter were saying Austin Barnes doesn't make that play. And now we've totally flipped that. You know, I saw the exact same tweets, but flipped around when Manny Margot tried to steal home in, in this game five and Barnes made a really nice tag, and I see people saying Will Smith doesn't make that play. And so it's funny how things things go like that for catchers, and this is three times in the last four years that Austin Barnes has kind of played himself into being the starting catcher in meaningful Dodgers postseason games. Yeah, he's worked his way up there, and, and they're deservedly so, so it's it's nice to see him. And he contributed on offense, so that that's always going to be a plus situation right there. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about games four and five, one a little happier than the others. But first, let's talk about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market, hands down. I've never paid for protein bars in my life, but I did pay for Built Bars. And if that's not an endorsement, I don't know what is. Built Bars are good for any diet or any type of, of you know situation you're in. They are keto-friendly. A lot of people are keto right now. Low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, all the things you could ask for in a protein bar, as well as tasting great. They're all covered in chocolate. They got a bunch of different flavors. Uh, you know, you can pretty much find anything you want with Built Bar. And you can get the protein you need without the calories and the sugar and the carbs. So right now, go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code locked on, 20% off, builtbar.com. Keep it locked on, Dodgers. All right, Jeff, I feel like this second segment may run long, so we're going to pass on the obscure former Dodger today and just get right into it. Game four. Actually, before what? we jump into game four, you, you mentioned something just before the break that we probably do need to give a little more attention to, which is the fact that Austin Barnes became only the second player ever in the World Series to have a squeeze bunt and a home run in the same game. And uh, it was the, obviously the home run we don't expect, but uh, that bunt situation, you know, with Bellinger on third and, and Barnes at the plate, it was the perfect time to lay down. A, it was a safety squeeze because you can trust Bellinger's speed and you trust Barnes to get the bunt to the right spot on the field. But uh, I, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the perfectly executed safety squeeze bunt. Yeah, a great call with Austin Barnes at the plate. It was probably the best bunter behind Kershaw on the roster and obviously with Bellinger at third and, and just a, a right call at the right time that, like you said, maybe went underrated or, or under the radar. Uh, but, yeah, game four, uh, a back-and-forth affair, not quite similar to 2017 game five and how it was, but kind of similar a uh, bunch of lead changes in the later innings. The Dodgers did go into the ninth inning with a lead, one-run lead. Uh, they did not exit that game with a one-run lead. I mean, I don't even really know where to start here if we want to start from the back and, and go from there. If we want to work our way to the ninth inning, uh, Jeff, I'll, I'll let you kind of dictate how we start. Dave Roberts got a lot of flack for game four, and there were three basic decisions that – that he was criticized for. And so maybe we go with those two of them involved Pedro Baez. One involved Kenley Jansen. The first one was to bring Baez in. There were two runners on and Nate Lowe, Nate Lau, Brandon Lau. Nate Lowe is a different guy who's on the raise, not on the roster. Brandon Lau was at the plate and, uh, 
and they brought in and Baez and a lot of people were very, very upset about that. And me personally, I liked the call. It didn't work out. Lau hit a three run home run. But uh, for me, that was because uh, Pedro didn't execute the game plan. Uh, because the reason they brought in Pedro Baez is because he has been death on lefties be- ever since he developed that great changeup. And Brandon Lau is very bad against changeups from right-handers. And so it was the perfect matchup. And the first two pitches or two of the first three pitches or whatever, Baez made Lau look ridiculous with changeups. And then for some reason, he threw him two straight fastballs. And the second one went over the left field wall. And And for me, you know, people were saying the reason that it happened is because Baez can't pitch with runners on base, blah, 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 blah. But for me, it was 100% that Baez didn't throw his changeup. It's like you came in because this guy can't hit changeups and you have a great changeup. You made him look bad with two changeups. Throw him the friggin' changeup again. And so for me, that wasn't a Dave Roberts thing. That was a, a pitch selection thing. And I don't know if that was Will Smith or Pedro Baez or if it's called from the bench. I don't know. But, but it wasn't the the pitcher selection it was the pitch selection and and so that was the first decision roberts made that was criticized you know i tweeted it out i, I didn't hate bringing Baez into that point uh you know obviously looking back at his inherited runners in the postseason it's it's not great uh, i think he's allowed them to score in the last six times it's happened or something like that or the, at least the last six runners that he's inherited have all scored so from that situation, but you you can't really let, you know, a 2013 or 14 series kind of dictate that based on inherited runners. The fact of the matter is that, like I said, Pedro Baez was in there to do one job with one of his pitches, and for some reason they did not do that pitch. We, you know, not saying that, that people on Twitter or the fans watching are smarter, but it just didn't make sense from any type of way uh, to not throw the changeup in that situation, especially ahead in the count. And if you are going to throw the fastball, you don't put it right there. You put it above the zone or, you know, I guess nowhere in the zone with like probably what was it one and two at the time. So, yeah, uh, that was just, you know, one of those things that they messed up. And, yeah, I don't I don't fault Roberts for that one. Uh, It was the right move. I mean, they showed the numbers when Baez was pitching. His OPS, OP, lefty's OPS against them was under 300. So the move was there. They just didn't do the right things when they made the right move. Yeah, like most of the time, uh, managers put pitchers, put players in positions to succeed, and Roberts put Baez in a position to succeed, and Baez didn't execute. The next decision that was criticized, uh, and Roberts actually admitted to it being a mistake, was the next inning sending Baez back out to the mound uh the Dodgers were down 5 to 4 after that three run homer and then they scored two runs to take the lead back and so Roberts he said that he had been planning on taking Baez out but after the Dodgers took the lead back he decided to send him back out and Baez gave up another home run to allow the Rays to tie it again and uh i i don't know that that one we've seen plenty of times uh not just the Dodgers, a lot of teams. I I, I remember Terry Collins get, letting Matt Harvey talk him into sending him back out during the 2015 World, World Series, and uh, that didn't work out well. And so I do think once a manager has decided to take a guy out of the game, he should probably just take him out of the game and not, not change his mind. That He said he told Baez 
that he was coming out, that he was done. And then he had to ask him if he could go back out there. And I, I don't know exactly Robert's thinking on this. He, he didn't really say, I don't, you know, I don't remember him saying anything specifically about why other than they took the lead, but I think he was trying to steal some outs there. And, uh, just because, you know, they, they, Julio came out maybe a little earlier than they wanted. And then they had to, they had to use some other guys. So I think he was trying to steal some outs and it didn't work out. Uh, the, you know, and the most ironic part of the inning was that the only out Randy Rosarena made that night was hitting into a double play against Pedro Baez after Baez had already given the lead back up. So, you know, baseball is weird like that sometimes. But again, Baez, it was a home, another home run to a lefty, right? I think it was, was it Kiermaier? Yeah. And yeah, it, it that decision, it's just weird that this is already the you know, they had the thing with Rich Hill, the miscommunication. This wasn't really a miscommunication. It was just he communicated, right? And he just probably should have left the first communication and gone with somebody else. But, yeah, I, it was just weird uh, that Baez gave up the lead and then gave up another home run and then was still in there after that to face the Rays' hottest hitter. And then the final criticized decision that you and I were both yelling at our TVs about in real time uh, was the decision to pull Bruce Dargraderall, who had thrown uh, seven pitches. He faced one batter uh, through seven pitches, uh, and or two batters, two, two batters. Anyway, seven pitches. And uh, instead of bringing him back out for the ninth inning, brought in Kenley Jansen with a one-run lead. And that did not go well. And, and you know, it, it's true. J- Jansen didn't handle himself super well after the game, uh, but I've given up. I, I don't worry about what Jansen says. You know, that that for me, it didn't matter. But but he was right that he didn't actually give up any hard hit balls. There was a, a stupid little bloop single by uh, – who was it? Yeah, so he struck out Sitsugo to start the inning, and then a bloop single by Kiermaier, and then a uh, line out by Wendell. And then it's a Rosarena, and that was the thing. The bloop single meant that Kenley was going to have to face a Rosarena as the the winning run, and he ended up pitching around him and, and walked him. And then uh, it, they still should have gotten out of it. You know, th- this is one of those things where even when a manager makes a decision that we all believe is the wrong decision – they were still one good pitch from getting out of this because Brett Phillips came up. Brett Phillips is not a good hitter. Kenley Jansen had him, had two strikes on him with two pretty good pitches, and then he just hung one to him. And Brett Phillips isn't a good hitter, but he is a major league hitter. And if Kenley makes one more good pitch, the Dodgers win that, and we are having a World Series champion Dodgers episode right now. Uh, but instead he made a bad pitch, and then the bad news bears – at some point during that at bat had replaced the Dodgers on the field. And so uh, all heck broke loose, as we say here in Utah. And uh, it was, yeah, I mean, you, you can blame Roberts for the decision to bring Kenley in. You can blame Chris Taylor for his error. You can blame Will Smith for his error. So many things went wrong there. And ultimately it was just a failure on all levels. It was, you know, quite a decision, you know, Dave Roberts, this, and this is what we kind of said earlier in the postseason is that Kenley's going to do some things that you know, have a couple good appearances, and then he's right back into that situation with Dave Roberts where Dave Roberts trusts him. And the fact of the matter is 
yeah, if you break down the inning, Kenley Jansen, there was some bad luck there. But sometimes you create your own luck. And whatever Jansen said after the game, the one that stuck with me is that he threw pitches where he wanted to, which unless Will Smith was flashing his his, his location, uh, he did not throw the pitches where he wanted to because the pitch to Kiermaier and the pitch to Phillips were both supposed to be up, and he left it down somewhat over the plate. Enough for both hits were almost exactly the same. Little bloopers, one broke the bat, one didn't. And you don't, you know, Kenley Jansen doesn't have the stuff to get away with mislocation or bad command. He doesn't have the stuff to, you know, get away with it. And Rosarena, he actually, I mean, he had him, what, 1-2 or 2-2 at least. And he just threw two non-competitive pitches. He did, seemed like he didn't want to go after him. And then they ended up walking him, which which was fine. You know, you get Brett Phillips up there, you should you should be able to get him out. And except like one bet one executed pitch. What ended the game right there? And of all the things that happened in that last play, it was Chris Taylor, who was only in center field because Cody Bellinger's back was bothering him before the game, and he had a DH instead of play center. He had Will Smith thinking that the runner was closer than he was because Rosarena fell on his way home, and he tried to make a swipe tag. Uh, the ball was cut off by Muncy, who Smith said he didn't expect it, which means he wasn't yelling cut which means that Muncy cut it off on his own, which I guess the ball was offline. I don't know. It's one of those where it could have went either way. Um, and then, you know, the one that, that'll get probably more criticized just because of the fact that it was Jansen and not a lot of people were fans of Jansen is Jansen not backing up. Yes, if he was backing up, he probably would have been, if the run's scoring for sure, he's backing up more towards third. If he thinks the run's coming home, he's backing up, you know, behind the catcher or from where the throw's coming from. So yeah, if he was there, it you know probably doesn't change anything, but it might change the fact that Rosarena doesn't get up and run home. It might change the fact that you know maybe Kenley can say, "Hey, he fell." There's still fans, but there's not that many fans, so you can maybe hear that kind of stuff. There was just a lot that happened that wasn't good, and it, it just looked really bad on all fronts. And yeah, it's you know I think Robert said after last night's game that Kenley Jansen is still high leverage, and I don't see any way that that's possible. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I don't think it would have made any difference if Kenley had been backing up the play, uh, but doesn't mean he shouldn't have been. You still, you, you do your job, and and it wasn't a good look. Uh, but, but yeah, you know, it sucked. And and the biggest gut punch of that game was they were one pitch away from going up 3-1 to one in the series, which is basically a guarantee of winning the World Series. The Dodgers haven't lost three games in a row all year. Uh, I guess with the win in game five guarantee that they are getting through the whole season without ever losing three games in a row because there's only two games left now. And, and uh, you know, so we would have had like a 95% chance of winning the World Series if they win that game, if Kenley makes one better pitch. And to have that swing all on one play to go from that confidence to crap, it's two to two. And, you know, just that, oh, it's so deflating and so... Like, that was the most a game has affected me emotionally in a negative way since, probably since Game 7, 2017. That, and that's the biggest thing, is that you, it was right there for the taking, a 3-1 lead, regardless of how the Braves blew it in the other round. Uh, you, you just can't see the Dodgers doing it. And then the fact that it's 2-2, and the Braves still have Glasnow, Snell, and Morton lined up. Yes, the Dodgers have Kershaw and Bueller, but you know when you have good pitcher against good pitcher, 
sometimes it's going to be a low-scoring game, and then it goes, you know, a lot of things can happen. So that was the biggest thing. But luckily, Game 5, uh, the Dodgers came back and got to Glasnow early again, and then it was just kind of one of those games where your heart was was uh, beating on every pitch the rest of the way. Uh, again, here, Jeff, there's a lot of ways we can go about it. But, uh, you know, let's talk about Kershaw first. Obviously, Kershaw, he lost his slider after the first inning or so and never really found it. And he gutted through, uh, aided by the Rays a couple of times on the base paths. And when everything was going wrong or could have went wrong, and when Kershaw only has a 92-mile-an-hour fastball, a curve that's only getting over you know, maybe 50% of the time, and a slider that was going 58 feet every single time. He gutted through it and got through it and you know gave the Dodgers enough of what they needed. So And then has the second win of the series. Uh, the Rays had, it, it was 3-2, to two, and the Rays had first and third and nobody out. And at that point, it, it was a lot like that that Braves game. Uh, was it game seven um, with the Turner tag? It was, right? Game seven. You know, we had that situation where the the – the Braves had second and third and nobody out. And so it was, you know, you're kind of looking forward to seeing crap. Acuna is going to come up. That's the best case scenario. And then they got that fluky double play and, and it kind of saved things. And it was the same thing here. Kershaw made some great pitches. He's got a pop-up and a strikeout. And then for whatever reason, Manuel Margot tried to steal home. And obviously it wasn't a terrible idea because he only, he was almost successful, but that was such a momentum shift when when they got Margot at home and oh man this stress I'm sure you felt the same way Vince as you were watching that and you see the umpire call him out at home and then you see Margot immediately make the universal hey challenge this gesture I'm like crap was he safe you know and Barnes immediately ran off the field Barnes knew he was out but but my heart was just like, crap, if he's safe. Duh. And then when I saw the replay and saw Barnsley tag him, it was just such a, a relief and such a burden off. And then for Kershaw, too, from that point on, the next inning, he had his first one, two, three inning. And then the inning after that, he got the first two outs on two pitches, and then his night was done. He retired five straight batters after Margot let him off the hook in that situation. And, and obviously one of the guys he retired was Kiermaier who was at the plate. And so maybe, maybe Kershaw gets out of that inning anyway, uh, without Margot trying to steal home. But, uh, it seemed like a big momentum shift for, for Kershaw and for the Dodgers to get out of that inning with, cause when it's first and third, nobody out, you kind of just assume, okay, let's keep, let's get out of here with the tie game and only let the one run score and to get out with zero runs was huge. Yeah, that's basically after Margot got to third. It was, and they got the runner on first. It was basically okay. Get out of this with one run. Keep it tied. And it was a hell of an idea, a hell of a, you know, thought process for him. He timed it pretty much as perfect as you could time it. And I mean, it, it's I don't know if it, it got talked about enough. How hard that play is for Kershaw for, you know, to be in the World Series, to be thinking about this, to be thinking about runners on for Muncie to yell and him to you know understand comprehend hear step off and throw all in one motion somewhere around the plate to give Barnes a chance to get the out his best pitch of the night really uh these guys are major leaguers but in that situation it's very easy to see a balk or a bad throw or something of that nature and for him to to have the poise to pull it all off is very underrated and probably will grow with time if the Dodgers can finish this off 
Absolutely. It was perfectly executed by all three guys involved. Uh, because you, you watched the replay. They showed it on the on the Dodgers postgame show. I don't, I don't know if you watched, but they did a big breakdown of it. And as soon as Margot breaks, Muncy is immediately running towards the plate and pointing towards the plate. He's not just saying step off. He's pointing because he knows he's the one Kershaw can see. And so he's pointing exactly what needs to happen. And Kershaw, like you said, Kershaw said after the game, he, he had it in his mind, not that he was expecting it, but, but he was aware of the possibility. And so he, he had the perfect, he had, he said he had had conversations with Muncie in the past. If there's a guy on third and, and he breaks towards home, you're my eyes and ears because my back is to them. And so, so he, Muncie executed it perfectly. Like you said, Kershaw stepped off and made a, a good enough throw. It wasn't a perfect throw, but a good enough throw to Barnes. And Barnes caught it, got two hands down there, and basically just put his glove right in front of the plate. And, and Margot slid right into it. And that was, you know, it's all you can do there. You know, that's a, a really hard play for Kershaw and a really hard play for Barnes. And they both executed it perfectly. And it's those little things. Without that, you know, it's a tie game. And uh, obviously the Dodgers did score again in the game and the Rays didn't. So maybe the Dodgers win anyway. But that momentum shift was huge. Yeah, and that was coming off the previous inning when the Dodgers had to strike him out, throw him out to end the inning. Credit to everyone involved. And then, you know, credit to Kershaw. And the offense, like I said, they got to Glasnow early. They did enough. They they Jock Peterson destroyed a baseball. Max Muncie destroyed a baseball. Betts and Seager at the top of the lineup got him the first run. And it was good to see that. I uh, would have liked to see more runs, obviously, on the Dodgers side. But I think, you know, Dave Roberts did a good job of kind of having a game plan and sticking to it a little bit. And after getting two pitches on two outs, you would think Kershaw's going to stay in there and finish the inning, and he didn't. And he said he knew that was the idea when they went into that inning and they stuck with it. You could see Turner lobbying for Kershaw to stay in, but they went to May and the good Dustin May showed up and he was able to, to bridge the gap a little bit. Then Victor Gonzalez and, and maybe even May came out earlier than some people thought, but they went to Victor Gonzalez and he got the outs that he needed. And then Blake Trinan finished it off. And it was just good to see, you know, good to see, not there was a couple of stressful situations in those last few innings, but for the most part, you trust May, you trust Gonzalez, and you kind of have to trust training at this point. Yeah, absolutely, and that is a couple of decisions we should probably talk about. This will be another one of those episodes that's a little bit longer, but uh, based on our numbers from last week, you guys don't care that we're talking a little bit longer about the World Series. It's uh, a quick thank you for that. Uh, we had our best week ever uh, last week as far as number of listeners of this show so thanks and uh thanks for being with us again this week uh but you know bringing in or taking kershaw out after the fifth inning kershaw didn't go immediately and wrap his arm he before he wrapped his arm he huddled up with with roberts we saw it on tv and you could tell they were game planning and then uh then kershaw wrapped his arm and so to me it was obvious that they had a plan after those first two batters when roberts came out it was it was very clear to me. Okay, what their discussion was about was you're gonna face the first two batters, and then we're gonna bring in Dustin to face Margot. And you know whether that was how Margot had done tonight or previously against Kershaw or whatever, but they liked that Dustin May Manuel Margot matchup, and that was the plan, and they stuck to it. And uh, and like you said, the good May showed up, and uh, you know you could tell by the way that Kershaw and Roberts hugged in the in the dugout after that. Kershaw was on board with this decision and, you know, Kershaw's a competitor. He's going to want to stay in, but, but, uh, you know, you could even see, uh, well, 
Justin Turner was lobbying to keep him in, you could see that Kershaw behind his glove, he was smiling. You could see the smile in his eyes. He knew he was done. And, uh, you know, he may have said something like, well, I got those first two quick. You sure you want to do this, Doc? But, you know, I, I we've seen so much criticism of Roberts for leaving Kershaw in too long. Uh, and we've seen Roberts get bit for not sticking to his plan. I love the fact that he made a plan. Kershaw was on board with the plan. And then they stuck with the plan. Kind of the, the stuff you have to do. I mean, it, there was a lot of things that could have went wrong in that in that at bat with Margot if Kershaw stays in. And at, at the end of the day, I guess the the main argument for it is if he you know if he does hit a home run, it, it goes to a one run game, which is not what you want. But you're not losing at that point. I think the fact Margot's seen him a lot, even though he was getting outs, he still didn't have his slider. So he's really down to kind of two pitches and hopefully hoping he can get a slider across. So it was the right move, right decision, and it all worked out, you know. And and obviously it's going to look better at the end of the game when everything works out. But like I said, they, they had a plan. They went with their best guys. They went with their, some of their best arms today in May, Gonzalez and Trinan, and it worked out for them. They got some rest for some other guys, and now they get another day of rest today. Props to them, and uh, now we, we see what happens with Gonsolin, if he can give them some length, and then the Dodgers can piece it together. Uh, and go from there and hopefully close it out. And that was kind of the underlying theme of the game was that Kershaw didn't have his best stuff. And so that definitely played into that. And then the last pitching decision of game five that we probably ought to talk about is the decision to bring Gonzalez in when they did. Uh, the Rays sent up with, with one out and a runner on base. Uh, the Rays sent up G-Man Choi to pinch hit for Yandy Diaz. And so Roberts countered with Victor Gonzalez uh, and the Rays countered by pulling Choi back and sending up Brasso, uh, sending up Brasso instead. And and I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter again that Roberts just got played. He should have been aware that they had Brasso, especially because after Brasso was a Rosarena. And so unless Gonzalez comes in and gets a double play, a Rosarena is going to face Gonzalez and a Rosarena kills lefties. And for me, the reason the move made sense uh, the the main reason is because Gonzalez has better can command than May. Uh, even when even though May's stuff was filthy, uh, I still felt better with Gonzalez against Rosarena than May against Rosarena because uh, May was more likely to leave a ball out over the middle of the plate, and Rosarena is going to destroy that. And even though Rosarena hits lefties well, he doesn't hit off speed well. And Gonzalez is more likely to make his pitch. And we saw that. Rosarena was aggressive. And first pitch, he had a lazy fly out to center. And obviously, that's results-based. And it's easy for me to say after the fact that that's why I wanted Gonzalez in there. Uh, but I tweeted it before the fact, too. And, you know, Gonzalez is a very good pitcher. He's never given up a home run in the big leagues. And so I liked a Rosarena against Gonzalez, even though the platoon shift wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, I was completely fine with that. I think Victor Gonzalez's stuff is good enough to go up against anybody. And the fact of the matter is, you know, Rose Reyna, the Dodgers shut him down the first three games until the ninth inning he hit the home run in game three. The Dodgers shut him down, and they kind of had a plan against him. And I, I don't think they've went away from the plan. I think Rose Reyna has made some good adjustments and uh, had some good at-bats and obviously put some good swings on some balls. And I think Gonzalez is, is the guy. We, we saw... Kershaw, I don't remember if it was his first at bat or second at bat. We saw Kershaw throw 
one good down and in slider and he got a Rosarena, but he couldn't replicate that. And I think Rosarena ended up getting on base somehow, but that, that, that's what it was. And, you know, even with, I think the other part is, okay, yeah, you, you bring the lefty for Choi, that's fine on, you know, the race side, but then they burn Choi and now they don't have him for later in the game when he's one of their better hitters against righties. So in that sense, it worked out as well. And, you know, I, I have, Gonzalez is probably top three of or four of guys I trust right now in the Dodgers bullpen. So I was completely fine with the move. And, yeah, worked out, and he, he you know, he looked good. Yeah, Vic the Brick is good enough to make a guy eat a shoe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, Jeff, is there anything else from this weekend that you want to bring up or talk about? I don't think so. We've got the off day, so we can tomorrow we can talk about upcoming game six and – yeah, you know, maybe if you guys have any questions or comments or whatever, shoot them over to us. I don't know if we'll do a full mailbag episode, but we'll definitely have time to to take some of your questions. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm excited for game six. I'm excited to see if what what we saw with the Dodgers getting to Blake Snell later in his last start, if that can continue. Uh, I think they need Mookie to to be on and they need to get to Snell. And I think if they can jump out to a lead, uh, I think, I think the Dodgers can finish this off in six. That's ideal situation. We'll, we'll definitely talk about Mookie tomorrow and some of this other stuff. But thank you all for listening. Like Jeff said, best week ever. Last week we were on the iTunes top 200 list a couple of the days, which is pretty ridiculous. So thank you all for listening or spreading by word of mouth or via social media. We've gotten a lot more action on social media lately. We appreciate it. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Dodgers. Jeff is on Twitter at Snydog. I'm at Vince Samperio. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and make sure you download and listen every day while we talk through this potential World Series run. A few other ways to get a hold of us are voicemail text 323-863-LOCK or email LockedOnDodgers at gmail.com. We're here every weekday morning, and we hope you'll be with us when you get in your car or if you're at home. Tell your smart device to play a podcast, Locked on Dodgers. And remember, you don't have to agree. You just have to listen. Have a good one. We'll talk say to you tomorrow. D. I say D-O. D-O-D-G-E-R-S. The team that's all hard, all hard and all thumbs. They're my Los Angeles. Your Los Angeles. Our Los Angeles. Do you think we'll really win the pennant? Bye!